0: Episode 7 of Season 1 of House of the Dragon is called Driftmark, and it could be short for Driftmark My Words because it's an extremely quotable episode. Perhaps that's why so many lines in this one were featured in the earliest teasers and trailers leading up to the premiere of the show. We've taken note of several, so throughout this synopsis you'll hear examples. Some of those lines may become part of the legacies of the characters who say them, whether they want that or not. For example, Alicent expresses that people will now see her differently forever based on a single outburst. That's one of the themes represented in this episode, legacy, how and why or if it matters, and the terms under which it's defined. Allison's outburst comes in part because she feels taunted, mocked, that's a theme of the episode too, taunts and severe responses, and consequences. Apart from memorable lines, undoubtedly some of the actions taken in this episode will permanently mark the characters who take them. Many of those actions, like their words, will never be forgotten, altering the course of their lives for good or ill. Many wrote chapters in their own histories in this one, we could say. It's a dark episode. War seems as inevitable as ever. Even the children engage in brutalities with each other, which is surely meant to be foreshadowing. And the adults shed blood as well, with more narrowly averted and more implied. It's also literally dark, as a number of the scenes take place with very little lighting. Most of the scenes are actions not meant to be seen. The darkness reflects the secrecy inherent in those moments, things that one would not do in the light of day. The episode immediately begins with Lena Valerian's funeral, an appropriate setting to consider legacy and memory and the like. Surveyman, brother of the Seasnake, gives the eulogy, a poetic speech in High Valyrian that includes pointed mockery aimed at Rhaenyra's sons. Though she left King's Landing to escape such talk, it seems Surveyman was keen to remind her if anyone can sneak an insult into a eulogy, it's the Master of Complaints. It isn't particularly subtle, even young Jace may have understood he was being mocked, and Damon outright laughed. Sir Laenor, one of the few people there who seems genuinely sad, doesn't seem to notice the implication, and eventually walks down to stand in the sea by himself, overcome with grief. The gathering after the ceremony is marked by awkward silence. Many pairs of eyes meet with a variety of knowing expressions, furtive glances, and contempt. There are a lot of people who have unresolved problems or grudges with each other all in one location, and only respect for the proceedings seems to keep people in line somewhat. Though the tide is completely turning against him like his health, Viserys is determined to make peace as usual, though also as usual, he doesn't do much about it other than say he wants it. He says, do not allow your temper to guide your judgment. That's excellent advice, but no one really listens. Viserys invites Daemon to come back home, but doesn't choose his words very carefully. Particularly, he uses the phrase, if that's a need, which is a big no-no. This is the man who charged into a hail of arrows rather than accept help, so it's no surprise when Daemon bristles at the suggestion and excuses himself. Viserys calls Allison Emma to her face, adding to the awkwardness of an already extremely awkward event. This reminds us that it's not just his body weakening, but his mind as well. How much longer will this man survive? This is not an episode for the forgiving of old wrongs, though people want that to happen. It's an episode, rather, where those with enemies ally with those who share those very same enemies. The seeds planted are the seeds of war. People start to take sides. That's a large portion of the groundwork for this one. Where allies are sought, where the biggest weapons are taken possession of, overshadowing the funeral is a mass of dragons, the likes of which we've yet to see on screen in this show or the first Game of Thrones. It's a reminder of what could happen if war breaks out. The dragons, as beautiful and majestic as they appear, are capable of vast devastation. And we see a disturbing trend in those who own them. Damon is a great character, but not a good person. And I doubt marriage to Rhaenyra and fighting for the throne will make him any more... sympathetic. Aegon shows signs of being a drunken lecher, and he's only about 15. Helena appears to be disturbed by dragon dreams, speaking of green and black threads woven together. Surely a portent of war for the blacks and greens, representing perhaps how their respective dooms are intertwined. Eh, fittingly, her dragon is dream fire. We hear she'll be marrying her brother Aegon, who is not excited about the prospect. Aemon proves to be an unsettling example of a number of proverbs. He goes from the bullied to the bully on the turn of a... Dragon. No more pink dread for this princeling. No mere hatchling either. He now has the largest dragon in the world. Eh, well, Vagar is green after all. It's quite an exceptional scene, the taming, one of the most entertaining dragon scenes we've had so far. Very long, too, compared to the others, uh, with excitement, silliness, danger, and awe mixed in at various times. A real range of emotions. But like Helena predicted in the prior episode, Amon would have to close an eye to claim this power. Technically, the eye was lost just after he claimed the power, but same difference. Regardless, the power really seems to go to his head, perhaps awakening a latent dark side of Aemon that we hadn't seen yet. Perhaps it's reflective of that old cliche that power corrupts, absolutely. Children with dragons is in general a scary thing, and the children of Lena become upset that Aemon stole the dragon that had just been their mother's. Reyna's sister Bela already had her dragon, Moondancer, so Reyna was planning on claiming Vega herself. They confronted him. And the insults flew, then the fighting. It's unsettlingly like children fighting over toys, but these toys can annihilate cities and castles and towns and such. And this is no normal example of children fighting. It's extremely vicious. It's not just Eamon's dark side that comes out when they fight over claiming a Vagar. Uh, Luke slashing out Eamon's eye is pretty savage for a child to do, even considering what was going on the darker side of Alicent comes out not long after as well. Ten long years of frustration and resentment towards Rhaenyra and her children burst forth, along with her husband's famous dagger of ice and fire that she snatches and intends to lose on Luke or Rhaenyra. She's had enough. Rhaenyra has always done what she wanted rather than what was required of her. Alicent yells, what of duty? What of sacrifice? A line we heard many times leading up to this episode, and Rhaenyra responds with another seminal line, now they see you as you are. But in a whisper, which is perhaps meant to goad Allison into looking even worse in front of everybody, which could be a bit of revenge for Kristen Cole goading Sir Harwin last episode. That incident was essentially repeated here, as Eamon called Jace and Luke bastards. Viserys demands to know how he learned that they were. Aegon points out that everyone already knows. This angers Viserys very much. Everyone, and I mean everyone, seems to know the plain truth, but Viserys is adamant that they all accept this lie... Because to not accept it means war. He does what he usually does, demanding that everyone just drop it. This time, he does actually threaten to remove the tongue of anyone who repeats that lie. Rainier is satisfied by this, but Allison is very much not and demands retribution. But even Sir Kristen won't obey Allison in this moment. Soon, the princess and the queen are separated, though Allison gets in a slash first. No eye for an eye, this time, just an eye for a cut in the arm. Aemon helps calm his mother as well with a famous line of his own, this one from Fire and Blood, rather than the trailers. It was a fair exchange. I lost an eye, but I gained a dragon. As usual, there's lots of mirroring. As the scene peaks, it's like the greens and blacks face each other down, like the battle lines are drawn. A few minutes later, when they're in private, Otto says the same thing to Allison about Rhaenyra that Rhaenyra says to Allison about her. You see her for what she is. Otto's reaction to her outburst is the opposite of what she expected. While he agrees with her that it's a bit of an embarrassment, that what she did nevertheless inspires fear, showing them what you're capable of, which is apparently cutting out a child's eye. Would Allison have really gone through with it? We viewers may never know, but everyone in the room certainly left with the impression she was going to, and this new reputation she's gained overnight is going to stick, as she herself admits to her father. But this also showed Otto as he expressed to her that she finally seemed to realize what he had been trying to impart to her all along. That this is the Game of Thrones, that you win or you die. She says people will now whisper she's mad. She calls her own outburst ugly. And Otto says one of those oft-repeated trailer lines, this is an ugly game, but for the first time I saw that you have the determination to win it emphasizing how twisted the Game of Thrones really is. One is constantly expected to sacrifice one's values to survive. Alison said she wanted to believe in honor and decency last episode, and I think she meant it, at least in part. To fully emphasize that she's now willing to do almost anything, how quickly she abandoned that principle, Larrys offers literal eye-for-an-eye-style revenge, which she does decline, but only for now. She says his services will certainly be needed later. Yikes. For now, perhaps she took her father's words to heart that Aemon's lost eye as a swap for Vagar, is a price worth paying a thousand times over. A thousand eyes and one. Oh, nice one, hot D Riders. We see what you did there. Otto also called Aemon a rogue, meaning a rogue prince, perhaps in reference to his budding similarity to Damon. Aemon's claiming of Vagar massively changed the balance of power between the two factions, adding a literally huge weapon to their arsenal. But dragons aren't only claimed by mounting them, they can also be claimed by allying to those who already ride them, or by marrying them in this case. Rainier also added a huge weapon to her arsenal by marrying Damon, bringing him and Caraxes to her side, as well as the dragons of her sons that she already has, and the other dragons on Dragonstone are right there as well, that should matter. Caraxes isn't as big as Vagar, but Damon is a lot more experienced in war, murder, and intrigue than Amon, who's still a boy, and unlike Alicent... He doesn't need to shed himself of any moral code. Daemon is the blood of the dragon, and as Rhaenyra said in this one, everything House Targaryen possesses is owed to it, a sentiment he seems to agree with without any hesitation. Lena is gone, but her legacy and her words remain. She told Daemon that he would not be happy in Pentos, that his endless reading on the exploits of his ancestors reflected his true heart's desire, which Rhaenyra has basically offered him right here in this episode. A marriage to the heir to the throne, who was a dragon rider herself, with sons that ride dragons of age with his daughters. Dragonstone, the only castle in Westeros with Valyrian sorcery used in its construction. A chance to fight for all that, a chance to be prominent in the histories, a chance for legacy. Rainier understands Daemon way better than her father does. She starts off by saying, I need you, uncle, rather than pointing out what he might need. She talks about what she needs and how he's needed. Much better way to approach him. It works. It's not necessarily great for Rhaenyra, though, I don't think. I mean, in some ways it is, but it shows her own dark side emerging as the threat to her family grows. She has long been attracted to Damon, and he to her, and she believes fire and fire together will work best. But Emma Darcy, who plays Rhaenyra, said it well. They're two alike. It's a dangerous chemistry, they said. This is emphasized during their wedding ceremony. They cut their lips with dragon glass and mark glyphs in blood on their foreheads. One glyph means fire, the other means blood. But I agree with Emma Darcy. This kind of seems like two people fueling the worst in each other. It's cool, though. It also starts very unexpectedly. Rhaenyra and Daemon's seeming willingness to murder has a twist. They plot to murder Laenor, her husband, knowing that people will suspect them, and welcoming that suspicion because it will scare people who might come at them. To accomplish this, Sir Carl, Lenor's lover, is bribed and a random guard is killed and burned after presumably having Laenor's clothing put on him. Lenor had professed a willingness to, at last, be the man Rhaenyra needs, but she knows he can never actually be that, despite what he says. He's just too decent, too honorable, and it's not what he wants in life. And what she needs is indecent, dishonorable. She needs a killer. Given Larris' offer offered Alicent well... Yeah, it really shows what an ugly game this is and how much uglier it's getting and how fast that's coming along. More and more characters are starting to see the ugliness, but it seems few of them realize where this is all heading towards war. Because of all this darkness, it's a huge surprise to see Lenor pull a riding off into the sunset maneuver or sailing off into the moonrise, I suppose, actually. He uses a move we've seen, though, shaving his head like egg to hide his Valyrian slash Valarian hair. Damon and rainier didn't kill Lainor after all. That's the twist. They just pretended to. Wow. A rare, possibly happy ending for a character in this setting, though it's premature to call it an ending. Maybe. It's a divergence from Fire and Blood, so we have no idea, folks. Maybe we'll see Lainor in the Stepstones. We'll see. But will this cost them the support of House Valarian? corlys and Rainey surely won't look kindly on allies who are rumored to have killed their son or perhaps they'll be let in on the secret, or perhaps they'll stay the course regardless because Bela and Reyna are their granddaughters in truth, and Luke and Jace are their grandsons, in name at least. And that brings us to the debate between Rainys and Corliss that they have by the fire after the funeral, in which he continues to be focused on legacy, saying, what is this brief mortal life, if not the pursuit of legacy? Another line from the trailers. She gets frustrated, reminding him that not everyone cares about legacy like he does, Perhaps a nod to Sir Harwin last episode, telling his father, You have your honor, I have mine. Rhaenys also confronts him again about his ambition for the throne. She's sick of saying he's doing it for her, when it's actually for him. She raises another issue that could be a problem. She takes the side of her daughter's true-born children over that of Rhaenyra's children, who are not Lanor's and thus not her true grandchildren, which in turn upsets Corlys, who recites another line from the trailers, History doesn't remember blood, it remembers names. Another reflection of how he feels about legacy. It doesn't matter to him who the king's children are, who the heir to Driftmark is. All that matters is that they bear the name Velaryon, because that's what's going to be recorded for posterity. But when Corlys told Lucerys he'd inherit Driftmark one day, Luke gave him a Jon Snow quote by way of answer. I don't want it. Like Jon, it's not the title itself. He doesn't want so much as the implication, which is that his inheritance can only come after the death of close relatives. Sorry, kid. There's no avoiding fire and blood now. Search your feelings, Luke. You know it to be true. Neither Luke's feelings nor ours can answer some of the other questions we still have, like what's going to happen with Laenor's dragon, Seasmoke, and where will they keep Vegar who doesn't fit in the dragon pit, as they stated earlier. This and many other topics, such as the parallels to Game of Thrones and this one, and there's lots of them, are things we'll discuss in our long-form breakdown. Speaking of, join History of Westeros on YouTube during the season every Monday at 6 Eastern for a much more in-depth review of each episode, and every 3 p.m. on Saturday as we look ahead to the next episode while mixing in discussions from the books with guests. If you can't make the live streams, you can watch or listen to the replays anytime afterwards. They'll also be available wherever you consume podcasts. Alongside our House of the Dragon coverage, you'll find that over the last 10 years, we've created hundreds of other episodes about A Song of Ice and Fire, Fire and Blood, Dunk and Egg, and everything else, Westeros, Essos, and beyond, past, present, and future.